So here at First Free, we are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's sort of the, the tribe that we belong to among evangelical Christians here in our country. And, and part of that, we're part of a district a section in the Evangelical Free Church of America called the Central District. And we're excited today to have the district superintendent, Mike Shields, here to speak with us. Mike became the district superintendent in 2020. That means his first task was to provide leadership for the EFC churches in Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, part of South Dakota, right at the beginning and through the, the COVID pandemic, which he did really well to give us a lot of direction and help us to hang together as pastors, especially trying to maneuver a really, really tricky season of ministry. Um, Mike has earned a, a doctor of ministry at Talbot Seminary and a master of divinity in counseling degrees at Trinity. Prior to becoming our district superintendent, he was a pastor for 25 years, so he knows not just the denominational leadership area, but the local church area, how to lead as well. He loves spending time with pastors and lay leaders, especially in transitional phases of ministry and leadership challenges and training and strategic planning. He's married to his wife, uh, their college sweethearts. Tracy is here with us. So Tracy, welcome. Was glad to have you here with us today. They have four married children and a growing number of grandchildren as well. I serve on a, a district committee uh, with Mike, so I've been able to see Mike's leadership in the district, and he's really a gift to all of the pastors and churches in our district, and we're really privileged to have him here today. Let's welcome Mike. Thank you, man. Hey, good morning, church. Are you ready to dig in, I hope? Um, we are, we're pretty fired up. We uh, were at a Cardinals game last night. First time in, in this uh, stadium. That dates me. I don't even know when this one was built, but, but it was awesome. By the way, Cardinals fans are all in. Did you know that? They're, I mean, they're just all in. I had a little Brewers logo on my uh, shirt, and when we were leaving just a couple minutes early, um, some, one fan said to me, get out of here, Brewers fan, hit the road, or something like that. It wasn't, wasn't vulgar or anything, just, just that. And, and you know what? I can hang with people like that. I can hang with people who are that all in. They're like, hey, you're a traitor. You don't belong here. Um, and I, I love that. And we're going to talk about today, um, in my life, a verse that changed everything. And, and when I got to know my Savior, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when my life was flipped upside down in a, in a powerful way, by repenting of my sin, coming to a saving faith in Christ, uh, I remember wanting to grow and, and just being all in. And yet, I didn't know until I really started reading uh, the scriptures. And uh, I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But I remember going to college. I went to a Christian college. And I was, I was there more for basketball than I was for anything else. Uh, met my wife there, um, the greatest uh, blessing outside of my Savior, and when I, was, when I was at that school, I had come from a family that was pretty messed up. And if you think about your family being the least likely to ever be able to stand anywhere and share the message of the gospel, mine would have, would have rivaled yours very easily. And so uh, coming from that kind of a family, hearing the gospel, my life transformed uh, Somebody tried to, you know, come up to me and mentor me, uh, and it was our chaplain at the college. And he said, Mike, I see something in you that I want to mentor you and I want to train you. And he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. 
Have you ever had people like that in your life? That they speak into your life and there is something that happens there. And it's a life transforming time. And, and I want to challenge you, not only is it great to remember that, but it's also imperative that you and I become that for somebody else. That we speak into their life and he saw things in me that, that weren't even there yet. He didn't know my background And he was saying, I want to pour into you because I believe that God wants to do something in your life. And I want you to know that is true about every single one of you. So this time of reading scripture for the very first time in college, remember, I I was not raised in a Christian home. So all the Bible stories, when you go to a Christian college and all the Bible stories are new, you're like sitting on the edge of your seat and people are like, well, you don't know this already? And I was that guy. I was the guy who was trying to figure it all out. And I started reading the scriptures, got into Philippians, and I I read Philippians 1. And I remember where I was. I was in the academic building uh, at our college, and I was there studying at night, and it was just me. And I just started to, I got to verse 21, and I just started to weep. Because I knew, and you can put that verse up on the screen For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. You know what I knew? And in the version I read, it was to live as Christ, die as gain. And, And did I understand all of that? There's no way that I understood all of that at that moment. But here's what I knew. I knew that I was not fully living for Christ. And I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you have a time in your life like that. I knew that overnight my life had to change. And I was already his son. I had already been forgiven of all of my sins, even the ones that I would commit in the future. But at that moment, I knew that something changed. And I needed to lay my life down. It needed to be all about Christ from there on. And and in that, I knew that having Christ now, from now on, will change everything. My marriage, raising kids, having grandchildren, it will change everything I do. It will impact every relationship that I will have. We're going to get into Philippians chapter 1 and the verse that changed my life. I'm going to give you just three really simple principles today. And I want you to know you're not going to walk out of here saying, oh my goodness, I've never heard that before. You're going to say, well, that was pretty simple, but I pray that God speaks to your heart today and that it's irrelevant who was up here sharing it, but all that you remember is that my God is enough no matter what I'm walking through, that Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord, no matter where you're at today, and every single one of you is at a a different place in your journey with Christ, and maybe you haven't began that journey yet, and maybe today is the day of your salvation Maybe there's a life-changing moment for you, even this morning. But I want you to know, they're not going to be like, oh, wow, what a a brilliant message. But I pray that it will be a life-changing, listening to the Holy Spirit, being impacted by the Word of God, and that you walk away from here saying, my Jesus, my Savior, not only is he enough, but my life, the rest of my life is to worship him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Word. Your Word is truth. And When we open it, our our lives are are ripped open because you read us. Just like you read the Apostle Paul in writing of Philippians, just like you opened my heart and you ripped it open and and you said, Mike, you're you're not where you need to be, but I love you anyway. And I want to call you to something better, deeper and greater. 
And Father, I wanna thank you for even someone like myself being able to walk with Jesus all of these years. You are such a great God. And I praise you, Lord, for the gift of Christ, my Savior and Lord. Pray that you would speak to us because your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul was, a, Paul was a guy that was really on fire. I could see him as a Cardinals fan. Oh my goodness, he would just go be outrageous kind of there. He'd be all in. But he's in a, a Philippian jail cell during the writing of Philippians, this book to, to these Christians, and he wanted to encourage them. He's in Rome, and he's now in a jail cell, and his friends in Christ from Philippi took up an offering, and they were sending Epaphroditus to go and minister to him. So sending a friend to him. Think about no FaceTime, no Zoom meetings, no, no iPhones, no whatever phones you have. The only contact is somebody comes to you face-to-face or you get a letter. And, and I have no idea how long it took for letters to arrive uh, in this day, but it, it must have been kind of monumental. I mean, we get, we get ticked off when, what, no Wi-Fi? Are you kidding me? And in this day... They sent Epaphroditus to him. Epaphroditus got sick when he was there. He stayed a lot longer, but he came to encourage Paul. Paul was in a jail cell chained to Roman guards. And some uh, have looked at uh, the jail cells that he would have perhaps been in. Some of those were underground in Rome. They had little grates on the ground because they were outside and water would trickle in, kind of like a, a sewer almost. And it would have been, people would have been able to walk over and, and, and look down, maybe even throw something at the prisoner or whatever. But it was really a ridicule. It was a place of, of great difficulty, and it was very demeaning. And we don't know for sure that he was in that kind of a jail cell, but it very well could have been. But he was isolate, isolated, away from friends, away from encouragers. And they sent Epaphroditus to encourage him. And now Epaphroditus had recovered and he was sending, now Paul was sending him back to Philippi with a letter. And that's where we get the letter uh, to Philippians uh, that we have in our scriptures. Um, and I'm gonna point you to beginning in verse 12 here in just a moment. And, and with that, I want, I want you to think about the conversion to Christ that Paul had to go through. On the Damascus Road, humiliated, um, his life was flipped upside down. He was trained then and discipled. He became a full-on follower of Christ, and you would not in any way recognize him from who he was previous. He was a persecutor of Christians. He may have been even the one, if you lived in the first century and you followed Christ, he may have been even the one who came to your home with people and dragged your dad out or your mom or your grandfather or your grandmother because they loved Christ and they began to persecute them. He might have even had that kind of a history if you lived in the first century. But here he was converted to Christ, and with that conversion and sanctification, now he's full on a follower of Jesus. I want you to know, when our, when our kids, we have four kids, they're all adults now. When they graduated high school, we just said to them, you don't owe us anything. Uh, even for the mistakes we made, please don't pay us back for those uh, any time in our lives. You know, give us grace. But you don't owe us anything because you're not living for us. Everything we did for you was, was because we love you. And one, one after another, we said to our kids, it was love that, that we raised you and now 
There is someone you owe everything to, and that is Jesus Christ. Now go live for him. And that's kind of the call of, of, of Philippians. Paul is saying, lay it all down. And Paul would even say, don't live for me. And, and even in my imprisonment, Paul would say, don't look at me, look at Christ and make the gospel more known because you've seen that I've endured this kind of punishment and difficulty only because of who Jesus is. I know a pastor who recently said to his congregation, because we're a part of that congregation, and if you were here last week, Quentin Steve, he's our pastor back home when I'm not traveling, and he was here last Sunday, and maybe he shared this with you, but his wife recently went through a bout with cancer, and he said in front of the congregation, he said, we have endured great, great pain, and he said, I've always believed that this was true, but now I know the truth of the scriptures because God's been present with us in the very deepest and darkest times as we have watched and, and as his wife had gone through a time of suffering. I want you to know first and foremost that life is difficult. And I told you this isn't gonna be like earth shattering. You know life is difficult. But that's the first thing I want you to know. As we look at Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse 12, life is an incredibly difficult journey. And it's more difficult for some than it is for others. And you may look at your life and say, um, why, does, why do I go from one time of suffering to another? Why do I go from one time of pain to another? Look at verse 12 and, uh, through 14. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, Paul said to me here, has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ and because of my imprisonment. Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul says, I know that I'm suffering. I know I'm going through a difficult season, but it's not about me anyway. It's really about whether or not the good news gets out, whether or not people recognize the savior that I love and I serve. And because I'm serving him, I want them to boldly know and have confidence in this great God. By the way, if you finish well, you walk with Christ. You know your kids? I've walked away from many a fresh grave of grandpa, grandma, mom, dad. And those who have finished well in Christ, you know what the kids, they walk away, or the grandkids, they walk away with this testimony that I can be more bold with my life. I can walk with Jesus in my life. It is critical. And, and I would always say the best time probably would have been for me as a little child to really be all in, all in for Christ. The second best time was that time when God opened my heart and he changed my life and I needed from there on to persevere in this walk with Christ. It is such a testimony. And Paul is saying, they're, they're speaking more boldly about Christ and my suffering, he's saying, is worth it. Paul begins with all the difficulties that they've heard and, and he's saying, they're true, I'm in prison. I'm chained to Roman guards. My travels have ceased. My freedom is extremely limited. Um, and, and with that, he's in danger of losing his own life. And he said, that's my reality right now. And the gospel, for whatever reason, God used all of that in Paul's life in the difficulty that he faced to bring him to a point where he would continue even more boldly to share. I wanna show you a picture of um, my wife and her parents. And, and I do this um, with her permission, of course. She's right here, so um, 
Her mom is in the middle, and I want to focus on her mother. Her mother's name is Linda, and she had a, a hard childhood. In fact, had some physical abuse in, in ways um, that she would talk about, and, and she would, would help others who have had that kind of a difficult uh, child life. And she also, when she was in her early 50s, uh, she developed breast cancer, and then she started a support group for women who recovered from cancer. And for the next 20 or so years, she shared with them uh, just how in their recovery they could bring glory to Christ and walk with him. And just a couple of months ago, my, my wife and her dad uh, and brother moved uh, their mom, Lynn, into um, uh, memory care. And she's in the last stages of her life here on this earth. And, and I want you to know as we go through the trials, life, if you were to say, if somebody were to stand up here and say, you know what, life is not going to be difficult, you would know that was a lie. Paul was telling them the truth. You're going to face things that you don't know how to deal with them. You don't know the way out. And he's saying Christ has to be enough in the middle of that. And in fact, I, a couple of uh, months ago, I was... Shortly after they moved um, my mother-in-law into memory care, I'm watching my wife worship in a church where we're at, and she's truly worshiping. And, and I just prayed, God, would you help me to see you the way she sees you? In the middle of her pain, in the middle of the family, going through this time of suffering and difficulty. Would you help me to see you the way she sees you? You know, I want you to know that settled peace comes from knowing that Christ is enough. When your day at work is miserable or maybe you've been at home and the kids are miserable, you got nothing done, you feel like a failure, when kids don't listen, when unexpected expenses come, when water seeps into your basement, when the boss is cranky and treats you with contempt, when the sale falls through, when someone betrays you, when the relationship ends, when a pandemic hits and the world shuts down, when you go into the doctor's office and you hear a diagnosis about your own health or someone you love, when you're lonely, when that same loved one is not going to return home, when you walk away from their fresh grave, that's life. That's life. And that hits us hard. And Paul knew it. And when you're reading the text and you see uh, what he does next in this text, it gives you such great encouragement. He says, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ and because of my imprisonment. Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. In other words, what can you do to me? If I speak God's message and you take my life, big deal. It's irrelevant. The word boldness in the, in the original language, uh, the way the text was written, in the original language is the word parousia. It's a really uh, loaded word. And it literally means confidence and boldness and, and plainness. What he's saying is, because I'm in prison, now they're more bold. Now it's more plain. 
Now they're more confident. And it's like he's, he's celebrating. I love that boldness. You know, I believe that the world is divided into two camps of people. You either love sci-fi or you hate sci-fi. One or the other, right? I mean, I don't know what camp you're in, but uh, if you're a Trekkie, you know they don't just go. They, that wasn't very bold. Come on, man. That wasn't very bold. They boldly go where no man has gone before. They don't just go. They don't just travel. They boldly go. Paul knew that. In Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The second thing I want you to know, not only is life difficult, it would be horrible if we ended there. In fact, if it ended there, there would be no resurrection. There might be, there might be a death, but there would be no resurrection. But because we have the resurrection, and secondly, not only is life difficult, but Jesus Christ is Lord of all no matter what you're facing today. The Apostle Paul understood how difficult it could be. And what kept him focused and thinking clearly was the understanding he had of the character of Jesus Christ, the sovereign power and authority of God. Look at verse 15 through the beginning of verse 18. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Paul had enemies. Anybody have any enemies here? People who don't speak well about you? Paul had them. He said, in fact, some of them were jealous of him because Paul would preach plainly and people got jealous of him because God blessed what he did. And many people would want to follow Paul and others were saying, look at him. Now he's in jail. He must have done something wrong. Can you imagine why God would put him in jail if he wasn't just, uh, uh, you know, just a rotten sinner, a mess? So some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. I love how he sorts that out. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. And there are people like that. When you're going through a difficult season, there are people that are like, well, you know, if you just did what you were supposed to do, how helpful is that, by the way? Or, you know what? God's not blessing you, obviously. I mean, there are people in your life that pull away from you at the very time you need people right up next to you who are loving you and caring for you. And Paul had those people. But I love what he says. He says, but that doesn't matter. Such a great phrase. Doesn't matter. We need to use that phrase a little often, more often. If you want to use it in the Greek, it's just two little words, tigar. And you can say tigar, doesn't matter. What does it matter? He's saying, you know what? As long as Christ is preached, in fact, um, look, at, look at that uh, verse 18 uh, that doesn't matter, or simply put, if you were to change that into uh, just our common language today, it would be so what? I don't care that they're talking about me, he's saying. I don't care that they're jealous about me. It doesn't really matter what they're doing. In fact, he said, as long as Christ is preached, it's irrelevant. 
the reason behind what they're doing. Why was Paul able to accomplish it? He knew life was difficult. He understood that Jesus Christ is Lord, but he had a rock solid foundation in Christ. I want you to see a picture of the, uh, of the Golden Gate Bridge here. Some of you have visited this. It's a beautiful, amazing work of, of mankind, of, of the men and women who, who worked on this. And there were many lives that were lost uh, in the building of this, but, it, but it's really an amazing structure. But I want you to know this bridge is absolutely preoccupied with its foundation. It's absolutely preoccupied. It's what makes it secure when the winds blow and when the storms rock it. Two and a half billion vehicles have crossed this bridge. Two uh, suspension cables combined for 80 miles of wire. It weighs 887,000 tons, 30 football fields long. On the 50th anniversary in 1988, they had 300,000 people walk down the bridge to celebrate that anniversary. And you know know what? Wow, it's just crazy. It dropped, it sagged seven feet while they were on the bridge. Uh, I don't know that I would have hung around, but they probably didn't even know that was happening. Three babies have been born on the bridge, all boys. That's totally, doesn't matter, but uh, you can tell someone that. Hey, did you know? A little tidbit, a little fact. Its south pier rests on the fault zone of the San Andreas Fault. The roadway, the rail beams, the cross beams, all are related by a vast cable system leading to two great towers that are deeply embedded into the rock foundation under the sea. If in, in case of an earthquake, it can sway 22 feet from center and not give way. It's an amazing, amazing structure but it is totally, the bridge is totally preoccupied with its foundation. And I know what Paul knew, and Paul was totally preoccupied with the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord no matter what he's facing. Life is incredibly difficult, but Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, it was, it was Paul that said, for no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So not only was life difficult, but Jesus Christ was Lord, but he did something out of that that is a great challenge for all of us. He said, I'm gonna rejoice. In the midst of all of my suffering, there's gonna be rejoicing. Uh, Pick it up in verse 18, the second half of verse 18 with me. He's going back to those turkeys who were preaching Christ out of selfish uh, motives, okay? Uh, They're talking about Paul behind his back. He goes back to them. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. Either way, so I rejoice. What a great attitude. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. I don't know where that brings you. But he's saying, don't you love being around people who are like, you know what, here's here's my story. Oh, my God is so good. Here's what God has done in my life. It's really not about my story. I love people who go there. They say, you know, you can hear my story, but it's really not about my story. It's about what Christ has done in my story. Yeah, life is tough. Let's tell each other the truth about that. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and if he is, let's rejoice 
Let's read the rest of that passage. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that in my life, that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. And that's what God did in my life as a 20-year-old when I was reading Philippians for the first time. And I came across that verse and he opened my heart and he said, uh, through his Holy Spirit, Mike, you're not, you're not laying it all down. I don't have your full life. You are my son, you belong to me and I want, I want your life to be an offering. And in fact, um, I, I, I just want you to think about this. Paul is saying, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ and that was his hope. He wanted to bring honor to Christ because it was really all about Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. He said, I'm, I'm being poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now the, pra- the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul's a great example, but it's not about him. He's not the hero of the text. The hero of the text is Christ. And he's the hero of your life. And he transformed everything in my life. A guy who came from a messed up background. And I won't even tell you the whole story because first of all, it would bore you to death. But secondly, you'd be like, why are we listening to this guy? But I want you to know that my story, when it intersected with Jesus Christ, my story changed. He changed everything about my life. I've had a lot of funerals uh, that I have done over the years, but one maybe, maybe uh, made the most impact on me. It was a woman named Marilyn. She was a, a missionary for many, many years. And she was in a church I was serving and we were getting ready to move as pastors do. It was a good thing. God was moving us. We didn't, you know, I didn't get fired or anything. It was a good move. It was a good thing. God was moving us along. And uh, I used to visit her because she was like 30 years my senior, uh, maybe even a little more. And we used to have great conversations. She was never married, never had children, so no grandchildren. Her family were kind of distant relatives. They were close to her somewhat, but they didn't live there. So I used to go visit her and I'd sit down and I would learn from her. And she said, Mike, uh, I hear that you're moving. I said, yeah. And she said, "Uh, you have to promise me something. You'll come back and have my funeral. And I didn't answer immediately. And and she said, you're not leaving my apartment until you say yes. (laughs) And I knew she was dead serious. So I said, Marilyn, I'll come back. For you, I'll come back. And we're gonna be three states away, but I'm gonna make it back. What a privilege. What an honor. And um, again, she, I said, what do you wanna do for your funeral? What do, you, what do you want us to focus on? And she said, um, please don't talk about me. I said, you know, but your life is a great testimony. And she said, you know what? There's nothing I did that is of any value to talk about at a at my funeral service. I want you to talk about my savior. I want you to talk about Jesus. And I want you to make it really clear that he was my first love, that he was everything to me. 
Man, that was the heart of this woman. So months later, maybe even a year, I can't remember exactly, I get a call from, I think it was a nephew, and she had passed away. And he found a note next to her favorite chair, because she didn't even come to church anymore. She was kind of stuck at home in assisted living. And he said, we found a note next to her chair, and it had two things on it. The very first thing was, if I pass away, number one, cancel home shopping network. <laughs> I love that. It's like, don't let them drain my account, whatever, whatever that means. I don't know. The second thing was, call Pastor Mike, and here's his phone number. And I was like, I made number two on the list. I was so <laughs> jacked about that. But I knew what I was going to, it was such an easy message. It was all about Christ. Her life had been a living testimony to Jesus Christ. Did she have difficulty? Yeah, she had loneliness. She, was, she had served in Africa. She had been a nurse. She uh, talked about times where they were run out of the country when they were serving in, in fear of their lives. She had spent her life just pouring it out for Christ. And I want you to know, whatever God's call on your life is, do it. It's not going to be exactly like Marilyn's. It won't be exactly like mine. But whatever God's call on your life is, do it. You will never be satisfied in this world until you say, God, whatever you want with my life, you have my life. I belong to you. I know that life is difficult, and I can stay there, and I can wallow in my own depression at times. I'll be honest with you. But Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to rejoice. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the grace of Christ. I thank you that you have transformed my life and, and every single person here who knows Christ in a personal way. You are at work transforming us, changing us, making us your own. And you're forming us after your son. And Father, I pray that even now as we take communion, that our hearts would be open to God speak to us. You're the only one that can speak to our hearts. We love you. We're not trying to earn your love. It's already been given. God, do with us what you wish. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is a good response to the message that we just heard. In Luke's gospel, there are various accounts in the gospels of the Last Supper. In Luke's gospel, we read the account where Jesus sent his followers, Peter and John, ahead to Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover meal. He told them what to find, what they would find, and how to set it up. And they arrived and they set up the Passover meal just like it had been before. And Jesus, when he was there and they were all sitting together, Jesus said this was gonna be a more remarkably different celebration of the Passover meal. There was something different. And he said, I've eagerly been waiting to celebrate this meal with you. And then Jesus shared the special meaning and purpose that he wanted them to understand and embrace about this meal. He said he took the cup of wine and gave thanks for it and said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and to God for it, and he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
After supper, he took the cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. In essence, he was saying, this is what it's all about, team. This is, this is it. Everything has been pointing to this moment. And then he explained that one of them was going to be involved in betraying him. And the disciples were puzzled by that. And then in a sad and ironic way, they just started fighting each other and arguing, it says. They argued about who was gonna be greatest among them. How soon they reverted to their own selfish ambitions. After just, I mean, minutes earlier, he said, this is what it's all about, I'm dying for you. And as Jesus does for me multiple times every day, so this is what it was about. It was because you don't remember this that I die for you. And he pulled them back to the purpose, just like he pulls us back to the purpose. When we hear a sermon like we heard today, when we have communion, when we have our quiet time with the Lord in the morning and we're so deeply committed and then we get in and that first person we see at work gets us distracted. Jesus responded to them when they were distracted by saying, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. And the Lord's Supper is a continual reminder of how Jesus served us with his life and death and how he wants us to serve one another and serve this world. Here at First Free, we invite anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior. If you have a, a saving encounter with God through Christ, you're welcome to join us with this meal. If you've not, if you're still evaluating the truth claims of Christ or you just straight out don't believe, you're welcome here too. We're glad that you're here. We just ask that you pass the elements by and maybe contemplate some of the things that you've heard today in the songs and the prayer and the message that we've heard. As the trays are passed, there'll be two cups stacked together as the cracker on beneath and the juice above. Take a stack of cups. If you need a gluten-free wafer, those are in the middle of the tray. Please hold the elements until everyone's been served. And while they're being served, I wanna ask you to do a couple of things. Just, just give some time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to evaluate your own heart. Maybe point out any sinful attitudes, actions, words, things that you've done or said or been thinking or focusing on that are not what God wants for you and confess those to him and ask him to forgive you. That's what this moment is about. And then when everyone has been served, we'll take the elements together.
when we pray in church services, there are prayers like we just prayed that are kind of personal prayers that we each pray. But there's also a dynamic of prayer where we join our hearts together and pray. So before we take the elements, uh, let me lead us all in one common prayer to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to give up heaven, to live here and experience all that we go through. What you experienced with your disciples that night in the upper room is what you must experience with us regularly. We hear you and then we quickly get distracted with other pursuits. Please forgive us. Draw us back to your purpose, the very reason that you died on the cross so that we can live for God. We owe you everything because your body and your blood provide the only path to knowing God and experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Please use this entire service and especially this observance of the last meal that you shared with your disciples as a catalyst for glorifying you in all we do, say, and think. Please use us for your kingdom purpose in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in our world. And again, we thank you for the sacrifice as we remember you and engage in this ordinance. Amen. By the way, those prayers that you prayed while the elements were being served, and if you confessed a sin to God or sins to God, you know, the wonderful thing is you're forgiven. It's done. We, we know that. It says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we come to this meal that reminds us why. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them, said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. It says in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's why this is such a vital part of the forgiveness that we had. And Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup. This is my blood that's spilled for you. Let's drink together. 